The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. Listen to Matt Slick Live. And as usual, if you want to give me a call, all you have to do is dial 877-207-2276. It's real easy to do. It's all you just give me a call there. You can also email me if you have a comment or a question and you want to talk to me. Uh, let's see, we got some noise in the background there. I'm going to turn that down. Let's see, what is that? I what that was. And so uh, you can also email me a question or a comment if you have uh, on uh, on the I can do it on the show here. Just send it to info at carm dot org. Info at carm dot org. And um, let's see, I'm trying something a little bit new here and uh, putting a a feed into uh, a Clubhouse, and I can't find the link for it. There's a way to do that. And I was going to give it to you, Charlie, but I can't remember. Anyway. So there you go. We have uh, four open lines, 877-207-2276. We also have the uh, email if you want to email me a question or comment, info at carm.org. I can check it out. And I think that is about it. We had a great meeting today, and three-hour meeting we had for our weekly CARM uh, meeting here at the Intergalactic Headquarters right here at CARM. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a good productive meeting, so I'm, I'm uh, praising God for that. Why don't we just jump on the calls. Let's get to Oliver from Maine. Oliver, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Doing all right, buddy. Hanging in there, man. What do you got, buddy? Hey, so my question is to Romans 14, 23. Um, For, and you're breaking up a little bit. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. Romans 14, 20 or 23? Uh, 14, 23. Okay. Looking at it, all right. So, as you, you've seen that passage, it, it says, you know, whatever is not of faith is, or not from faith is sin. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I'm having I'm having difficulty understanding this, I think, and also applying this to my life. Um, and I'm not sure if I have the correct understanding of the passage here, so I was hoping to get your help on that. Um Sure. So well, how would you see that passage? What do you think that's Well, Romans fourteen twenty three. Let's read the context a little bit. And that's always what we need to do first. Uh, and go back two verses. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. So what Paul's doing is talking about our freedom in Christ. In Bible study last night, I started mentioning that, starting in Romans chapter 3. One of the things that we have to understand in Christian thought is that we are free because we have died to the law. We are no longer under the jurisdiction of that law. We're under the, the gospel of Christ. And so our hope is in Christ, and our faith and our trust is in uh, him and what he does. All right, so this means that we're free to eat pork or not eat pork, or worship on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday. 
we're free to do these things and we need to understand that as we do them that two things are important an internal and an external an internal aspect is what he's talking about here that's not a faith but let's go to the external first I don't want to stumble anybody else in my freedom so if I uh, if an alcoholic comes over to my house I'm not going to offer him an alcoholic drink my freedom to drink doesn't mean that I need to have him do the same thing I don't want to stumble him so we have to use our freedom in Christ respectfully and with wisdom and that's what's going on all right now when it talks here in uh, 1423 he who doubts is condemned if he eats so eating is like a dietary law you can remember in the Jewish economy a great deal of um, import was placed upon what you could and could not eat so now we have the Jews who became Christians and they could eat anything to the Jewish mind that was a huge huge issue and Paul wrote about this uh, in Romans 14 very clearly I call Romans 14 the forgotten chapter because it has the the proclamation of our freedom in it and what we're to do and not to do but nevertheless so if you are convinced that you can eat a food that the Bible beforehand had said no because now Christ has come the new covenants in etc you're free but what if you're not so sure what if you think oh, maybe this is wrong maybe I shouldn't be doing it now you're doubting and in your doubting you're condemned not that you lose your salvation you're going to hell but that if you are doubting you're not walking by faith in Christ but you're worrying in this case about the law are you still needing to keep that law and so if you doubt and you're condemned if you eat because your eating isn't from faith it's not from the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom that we have in him but it's kind of like looking back to that law and making sure that we don't break that law can we eat the pork or not eat the pork that kind of a thing and then he he adds in whatever is not from faith is sin and faith is only as good as who you put it in so we put our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we don't put it in Muhammad that false prophet or the Roman Catholic Church that false church we don't put it in evolution because uh, it just doesn't save you it's just uh, doesn't work we put it in our Lord and Savior Jesus and faith is only as good as you put it in so put it in Christ and you're free and you don't have to worry about these legalistic aspects and things like that. All right. Okay. Now, for for me, I'm I'm a pretty anxious person about a lot of things, and I have what's called OCD. Okay. So there's All a right. lot of convictions that I'll feel that sometimes it, it might be something kind of crazy, you know, or mm -hmm. almost just ridiculous, and okay. I feel I need to do it, and it you know it might be a sin before God. Mm-hmm how do I handle something like that in this? Like, cause I, I often I, I'll know like, okay, this isn't from God, but there's still that doubting question in my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, do I, do I then, oh, oh, you know, yeah. uh, how would I go about something like that? Someone who struggles in that way. Well, it is a problem. Okay. Because, uh, you have OCD. Um, I have Asperger's and it's not, I'm not trying to compare they're different and I understand the the differences uh, and the issues that people who are not what we call neurotypical and so the issues that I've come up with uh, and, and examined and you can just apply this formula to yourself 
is to subject them to scripture and if I have an issue I'm not sure about what I'll do is I'll go to the word and study what the word says and then decide to believe and trust based on what I've seen in God's word that's what I will do so if you have an OCD thing whatever it might be and I'm not knocking you man I'm not knocking you at all let's just say you got something and you think it's something you ought to do because you think God wants you to do it maybe he doesn't well if that's the case then you ought to do it because you think you're thinking God wants you to do it this is why you would then need to go to someone who has uh, wisdom an elder or pastor at a church you go to somebody that you can trust and they you say hey you don't have this urge I always have to throw my sock at the uh, cat every morning okay whatever it is the OCD thing make something stupid up and you think that's what God uh, wants you to do and uh, he says uh, well no that's not in scripture it's not scriptural you don't need to do that and you feel you must now you have a struggle between what you know the Word of God has said and what you feel to do one of the things you have to understand is that we develop habits and our habits alter the physical structure of our brain so that we can become habitualized this is what training in martial arts does for example you go the same thing over and over it's actually a physical new pattern in the brain that's set up so things are automatic OCD can be similar in that you practice patterns well you have to break the patterns you have to decide to do them and so what I would suggest you do is whatever that thing is that you know in your head is not bad it's okay then you write it down on a piece of paper and you carry it with you this is okay to do or not do and then you decide ahead of time you talk to God you say God I'm going to be struggling through this and I just I'm looking to you through it and then that way you don't have to worry you just do it the best you can and you retrain your brain for saying things like that that's you know overly simplified but that's the basic kind of thing okay yeah yeah now and there's this often very like situations like at work you know and some of these mm -hmm. things honestly there's there might be some weight behind them but I have to make a quick decision like one thing I've been struggling with is you know they they might want me to turn the the radio on and then I had this conviction I shouldn't do that because the songs they play on there aren't aren't songs that I listen to right but there's this conviction you know, don't turn that radio on for them and in my head that seems ridiculous but there's that <laughs> conviction there in some in situations okay. where I have to yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In situations where I well, like I don't know. Yeah. Here's the thing: if I, because I've worked in many secular jobs, and none of them they, they had the ability to have a. But yes, one they did had a radio you could have on. But um, yeah. if somebody was said, "Look, man, put put this radio on now." Country western. I'm sorry. I, I'd say I I can't survive in it. It's just ontologically evil. A country western, I, a nasal whiny stuff. It will drive me crazy. I wouldn't be able to work there. That's not because it's bad or good. It's just I can't handle it, okay? That's just me. I really could not handle it. I'd have to quit or do something else. So, uh, no, I'm serious. I hate it. I hate country western. Oh, it's horrible. It's long Chinese polka, you know, and cats that scratch on, uh, on, on tile and stuff. So, all right. I just offended a whole bunch of people. So what I would do, I'd say, okay, I'll turn it on. And long as it's not country western. And uh, they turn it on and... Um, and then I would listen occasionally to look for opportunities to use it to witness at the right time. God, teach me what to learn out of this paganism that I might uh, speak with them. And, and do it that way. And me, I like secular radio. You know, I like corn and nirvana and uh, stuff like that. And this morning I was working on uh, some stuff and I was listening to praise music, you know. So uh, use the opportunity 
as a means by which, hopefully, you can witness to others. Think of it that way. Right. Yeah. And I guess I've been dancing around, like, the question I really, I guess, would like some help in is, and I don't want to keep you on too long, I can call back another time, but um, is it okay sometimes if there's a, a, a doubt of whether something is right or not to just move in what I think is best according to the Lord and just of course. move in that? Of course. Of course. Okay. Yeah. You always you always move with what your conviction is before God, but you don't want to become too legalistic. You want to recognize you have freedom. God is not here to yeah. slap you down every time you, you don't do something perfect in your own heart. And you've got to understand something, yeah. that if you let this control you, it will control you. And I understand that OCD, yeah. and I've got family members, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to tell you that you have to um, get a hold of it and, and handle it. And one of the things, I had a family member I, I would talk to about once every other day for two years. And I developed uh, this idea of him going up to a... a, a a vending machine and he has all these choices and he can't choose he's he's stumped at what he's going to do because he doesn't know what the right thing to choose is and i told him picture it you make a choice because no choice is always perfect it's okay you'll have another choice later and you can get something different and had relax about it and he actually helped him i had to talk to him about 10 times and he got it and it helped him because we have to realize it's okay it's okay. Yeah. Oh, I picked the wrong thing. I made the wrong choice. Yeah, so move on. All right? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help on this. All right, Oliver. God bless, buddy. Hey, folks, we have three open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Be right back. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out to Cigarhead. Thank you very much, and Rumble for the support. Really appreciate it. You're awesome, buddy. Saying thanks. You're actually, I'm going to tell you this, you're the first one that we've uh, had do this I'm aware of, and the first time I've mentioned it on the radio. So, hey, you can pat yourself on the back. There you go. All right, let's get to Huskman, Buskman. Buskman from Ohio. Welcome, Buskman. You're on the air. Hello, Mr. Slick. Uh, this is Billy Bob Buskman, uh, country and western star. How you doing? <laughs> oh, no. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> well, I'm okay so far. We'll see what happens. Hey, I hear you don't like country music. Baby. No, I do not. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the, you know, I got to tell you, I tried to like it. I tried to like it. I remember where I was when I tried to like it. I was driving down the 22 freeway going east, then in Orange County, California, next to the Crystal Cathedral. I was trying it. And I decided to listen to Country Western. I go, I got to try this. I can't just hate it because it's so whiny. And uh, so I turned it on and listened for 15 seconds. <laughs> I was done, and I still remember the lyrics of the song. It was it's some twangy guy going, "Us driving down a road by a pond full of toads." Twang, twang, that's it. It's over. So, so I tried. 
Well, you okay, just take ahead of the right kind of country and western. You come on down to my place and we'll fix you up with some real country and western. <laughs> oh, no. I'd be, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Hey, I will say that. I like Johnny Cash, though. I like Johnny Cash, okay? So yeah, there you go. I yeah. think. You know, and when he, especially when he did the, the song "Hurt," oh my goodness, it was so good. Yeah, it's that's right. a really good song, Matt. Yeah. Oh man, he he nailed it. Yeah. He, okay, so yeah. what do you got, buddy? Wonderful songwriter. Yeah. It is, okay. Um, women leading Bible studies, Mister Slick. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have I have uh, uh, knowledge of a couple. Um, the husband. Uh, is uh, he? He's been in ministry. He's got ministry background, um, trained, seminarily trained, and his wife is going to lead the local Bible study for for this uh, this church among other leaders, Matt. And I just wanted to know what your take is, because it's from what I gather, Mister Slick, it's uh, co-ed. It'll be both males and females attending the small group. So it wouldn't just be the lady folk, but it would also include the men folk. Well, what's the topic that she's teaching? I don't know. I think each group is autonomous, and each group leader can choose their own uh, curriculum, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's a toughie. Um he said that a woman is not to be in a teaching authority in the church. That's it. And uh, the position is for the males only. Like, you know, I've given all the scriptures before everybody, and there's a reason for it. So uh, a woman Bible study leader, I'd be nervous about. I don't know if I could, could attend personally, because I'd be too okay. worried about just the biblical mandate. Uh, but I'm not saying yes or no, because what's she teaching? But before I talk about right. that, let me, let me uh, tell you. Back in seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary, I graduated with my MDiv in 1991. All right, we had a whole week-long period where all the classes were opened up to all the public. So anybody in the public could just come in. They could sit in class and they okay. could just sit with the students. And they had kind of had a theme for that week. Um, and it was varying topics. I forgot it was. But they flew in a, a woman uh, who was going to teach in one of the classes. And she, uh, she's going to teach on women being used in the church. I don't know if that was the exact title, but that was basically what it was. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I mean, I definitely want to be taught by her in a seminary class. I have no problem with that. So this class was packed, and I was the only male in the entire class. Wow. Really, oh, that bothered me a great deal. Men should have been in there. But I think so many of them in the Reformed tradition are a little bit, uh, uh, how do we say it, uppity? And so uh, that's why I didn't really fit into the denomination there very well. You know, driving to school, listening to Striper, uh, walking in with my mod boots and my spiked hair into seminary. Okay, so they're like staring at me from a distance. What's what? (laughs) Back back in the day. This is back in the eighties and nineties, early nineties. And so, anyway, it didn't fit. But at any rate, so I, I was there, and uh, it was a bother. So I definitely sub- uh, want women to be used in the church. They're not to be in teaching authority. So here's the question. Is the Bible sanctioned as an official Bible study in the church, and that a woman would then be teaching in that and having teaching authority over men in the church? If that's the case, then she shouldn't be doing it. 
at the very least, the men shouldn't okay. be there. It should just be the women. And or what I would say normally speaking, you have once a month, you have an elder go in and just kind of sit and make sure everything's good. That's all. And uh, uh, just kind of check it up because at, at the very least, she should be teaching women and children. It's not that she's not capable intellectually or knowledgeably or with wisdom even to be able to teach men. Undoubtedly, she would have knowledge that some men, uh, most men probably wouldn't even uh, possess. So I have any problem with that. I, I have a problem with it being sanctioned by a church in an, if it's an official teaching thing that, that they say, yes, she's going to be teaching on this level. The church sanct, uh, sanctions it. That's a problem. Okay? Okay. So I have two questions based on what you just said, Matt. Defined sanctioned, number one. What does I that wish you wouldn't ask me those yeah. difficult questions. I was trying to get out of this gracefully and <laughs> make myself look good. Uh, so uh, that's a good question. Uh, so let's see. There we go. What I would say is uh, that from the pulpit, let's just say, the pastor says, uh, Susan so-and-so here is going to be teaching a Bible study on whatever it is, on uh, the doctrine of, of on soteriology. It'll be a five-week course on soteriology, and we're we're officially recognizing it as a good course that she's teaching okay. we recommend that you go to it and you see you see because I, I don't have a good answer for you because what if she was teaching okay. it at a sunday school and the elders are there and she's very qualified we can have women who are qualified in all kinds of ways and so what if she's just teaching that what if she's uh well i don't know you know i i, I thought i had it all down but i just don't and this one it's a tough one it's, it's okay. Then the the second question would be this, Matt, um, because we know that all of our Christian uh, bookstores from all all over the country have all kinds of different uh, texts, uh, yeah. uh, study guides, things like this. So, is there a differentiation, Matt, between teaching the sixty six books and teaching something from? Christianworld.com. Um. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I'm gonna when, I'm, when I've I've talked about this and thought about this. What I like to do is just go back to the absolute. They're not to have teaching authority over men in the church. They're not to be pastors, elders, or they're not supposed to be deacons either. Can they uh, teach in a in a, uh, a study in the church under the church building? I wouldn't have any problem with a, a woman teaching on the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, if she's an expert on it. She's been studying it for 20 years, and she knows it inside out. I, I don't okay, don't so qualifications are, are required then. So she, she needs some kind of... Yeah. yeah. we got to go. we got to break. I, I'm going to think through that okay. and talk to some people about it, but that's a good question, man. Okay, buddy? Awesome. Right, Thanks, going. Matt. All right. Hey, folks, two open lines if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. It's the bottom of the hour. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. And I just want to let you know that we stay on the air by your support. If you're so kind as you uh, might want to consider supporting us with $5 a month, all you have to do is go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot o r g forward slash donate all the information needs right there 
don't ask much, but if we get enough people just doing $5, then we can uh, keep our head above water. You know, it takes money to pay the bills for radio and stuff like that. All right, let's get on the air with uh, Manuel from Wisconsin. Oh. Manuel, welcome. You're on the air, man. Hey, brother. Um, hey. I was going through Revelation with uh, the wife and kids, mm-hmm. and in chapter 4, mm-hmm. uh, the one who sits on the throne, it appears to be that this is the father, because in chapter 5, the one who is in the midst that looks like the lamb as a slain takes the scrolls from the one who is sitting on the throne right. and opens them. Mm-hmm. But the elders, they are the ones that cast their crowns at on at the Father's feet in chapter 4. It says they, they set them on the, the throne and uh, at his feet. So I, I was just always under the assumption that we would lay our crowns at Christ's feet. But chapter 4, if that is about the Father on the throne, it would appear that we would be casting our crowns at the Father's feet, not the Son. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, so I'm trying to find the exact verse you're talking about. But I'm going through chapter 4. Uh, chapter 8-ish. Eight, eight. Uh, and four living, creatures. Uh, four living Creatures is interesting. I could really go into that quite a bit. But um, uh, the 24 elders said that, and some people think it seems to be that 24 elders represent the church. And they lay their crowns okay. down before the throne. And the throne were 24 elders. saw the thrones. They saw it sitting white garments, golden crowns on their heads. That's why they, some people think that's what it represents. Uh, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, will worship him forever and ever, will cast their crowns before him on the throne. Okay. So, uh, I'm, I am deciding how much to say because I don't have a great answer for you for one thing. And sometimes when I don't know, but something in the back of my head like like it is right now, what I'd like to do is read the context a little bit more. And there's some things that are interesting in here. It says on verse 6, before the, the throne was a sea of glass. Well, in Exodus 24, 9 through 11, uh, there's a, a vision that they have. They see God, and his under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of, of sapphire as clear as the sky. And here it says a sea of glass. So it's similarly described, and I'm looking at that. The four living creatures in uh, Ezekiel and... Um, I forget where else, but in Ezekiel, the four-faced creature, lion, ox, eagle, and man. And what's interesting about that is that in the tabernacle, the wilderness, the four group, the twelve tribes of Israel camped in four groups, and the four groups each had a flag or a banner that represented them, and it was lion, ox, eagle, and man. And when you take those men who are numbered uh, around the the tabernacle and you put them out proportionally, uh, north, east, southwest, you get a cross. So it looks like the four living creatures are designating something to do with Jesus. That's why I'm talking about that. Also, the four Gospels were known as the lion, ox, eagle, and the man in history, in code. So it gives us verse 7. The first creature was like a lion, the second was like a calf or an ox, and the third had a face like of a man, and the fourth was of an eagle. So right there in Revelation 4, 7, we see that. So it looks like, when I'm reading this, it looks like it's a coded reference back to the Old Testament 
issues of the lion ox eagle and the man around the tabernacle which the tabernacle represents christ because in john 1 1 and verse 14 it says in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god verse 14 the word became flesh but another way of saying that is the word tabernacled because the greek word is skene which can mean to tabernacle so the four living creatures each had six wings at that point, I don't know what's going on. Uh, the eyes are all around them, be able to see things, and holy, holy, and they're uh, speaking. So it's, it, the look of the four living creatures are may very well be literal, as in they have an actual existence, and or there's a combination of the representation of the person of Christ and the work of Christ, as is in the Old Testament. So I don't have the answer for you on that one. So now when we get down, it says the, the living creatures, they lay their crowns down before the one who sits on the throne. I do believe Jesus does sit on the throne as well with the Father. And there's a, he's one to the left and one to the right. And I'm trying to find that. But I do remember that is the case. So there's a lot there. Yeah, I guess to be seated at the right hand of the Father. It was just because in, in chapter 5, uh, Starting in verse 6, in the midst of the throne, I saw the four living creatures, and then the lamb standing as if slain. And then verse 7, and he mm -hmm. came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. Mm -hmm. Now here's the thing. Does God the Father have a literal throne he's sitting on? And the answer would be no. Uh, no. Because God the Father does not have flesh and bones, only Jesus does. And... <clears throat> So, like when uh, in Acts chapter seven, when Stephen was being stoned, he had a vision of God the Father. So he saw he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand. And what that is is a representation. The right is a place of authority and salvation. The left is a place of judgment and condemnation. Jesus says the goats on his left on the day of judgment, and the sheep are on his right. So when it takes the th uh, scroll out of the right hand, it's a symbol of authority and justice and righteousness and power. And uh, what I would look at is to see if there's a place where it says that Jesus is sitting on the throne, because I do believe that is the case. But when it says that he's to the right hand, it's a, it's a, a visualized symbolism of the actuality of Christ being on in authority. Now, having said that, I don't want to say that it's not possible that God the Father somehow uh, does not have a, I'm not going to say it's not possible, he actually does have a kind of a location that we might be able to travel to and go to in the afterlife. I don't know. And if there is a, a way that God can locate himself a little bit for us so that we can have something to look at, so to speak, like the big ball of glory, I don't know, light coming out. We're not seeing God because he dwells in an unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, First Timothy six sixteen. So maybe there's something like that that we'll be able to perceive in heaven. And if that's the case, then Jesus might literally be on the right side, which designates his power and authority. So I don't know. You know, just a lot here, a lot of symbolism here. Mm -hmm. And I actually went through Gen uh, Revelation 8, 9, and 10, uh, and I think part of 11 last night in bed before I went to sleep. I went and analyzed it and uh, for a different reason. And there's just so much symbolism there that I just can't give you a great answer. You know, I just can't. I wish I could. Okay? Sounds good. Clear as mud. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I want to help you, but uh, sometimes, particularly the book of Revelation, what you have to do is really study 
And like what I would do is do a search for the word throne. The word throne, mm-hmm. which is thronos in Greek, thronos. But uh, look for throne and see uh, if it refers to Christ. And see if that's the okay, case. Thanks also. a lot, brother. I and then let me know what you find. Okay? All right, man. Uh, Wish I could help you better. You. All right, God bless. All right, let's get over to Ryan from Pennsylvania. Ryan, welcome. You're on this show. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, yesterday, you invited me to call on the show, and you were very polite about things. And uh, I wound up being quite rude to you, and I felt like I owed you an apology. So well, I uh, apologize for being rude to you yesterday. Um, okay. You know, Jesus said that um, we're one body in many parts, right? Yeah. And um, it has been said to me that um, my function in the body of Christ is being the hemorrhoid. <laughs> so um, I think that I think that came out a bit um, in overdrive yesterday. So I apologize for that. I I had to mute myself while I was laughing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, hey, no problem. <laughs> because, uh, no problem. I'm more like a thorn in people's <laughs> in their flesh. But uh, yeah, no problem. Okay, but we'll work on stuff. We'll get it through. Right. We'll get it done on the transcendentals and All stuff right. sometime. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, Ryan. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, you know, I got to hand it to Ryan. Uh, he's done that several times. He's called up and apologized when he thinks he's blown it. I, I got to hand it to him. That's that's pretty impressive. He does it. Uh, I'm not saying regularly because he blows it so regularly, but you know, he's done that like three times. I, I respect that. I really do. All right, now let's see. Where are we? Almost ready for a break. Let's get to Cynthia. Let's see how much time we got before the break. Cynthia, welcome. You're on the air. Hello, Matt. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. We got a break coming up, so let's see what we got. What, what do you got? Okay. First of all, I'm a regular listener. So I want to give <laughs> There's a quick shout out to Lana, Laura, Joanne, Marlene, Ellie, Randall, Phil, um, <laughs> Carrie, and Jimmy. Hi, guys. Okay. Good. Now, hold on. we got a break, so I want to hear what you got after the break, okay? All right, Cynthia. All right. Good for the shout-out. All right. I like that. That was good. Fun. Hey, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Man, we've got some good callers, so I'm not getting to hate mail today. Darn, I love hate mail. Let's get to uh, Cynthia. Okay, you're back on the air. Okay, hi, guys. Hi, Matt. Um, <laughs> first of all, I'm just very eloquent in my thoughts, but I'm a little scatterbrained when I talk, so I hope you can follow me. <laughs> I'm just going to no say problem. a couple things. I, <laughs> I have a friend who I asked, to listen to the show today and told her if she would listen, I would call in and ask you these questions. So bless her heart, she's listening. I love her, but we disagree on something. And I'm just going to give a couple quick comments, a a couple scriptural references, and then let you take it from there if if you like. Um, We disagree on eternal security. Um, Okay, so what's, um, what's your position? Reference. Yeah, I have told her that our sins are paid for at the cross, mm-hmm. uh, to which she replies, yes, but then we have to repent when... No. Because we currently no. think that we no, have no, no, to no. repent, and I've explained to her, 
let, let me say what I want to say first, yeah. and then I'll let you take it from there. Mm-hmm. And I told her, no, all our sins were paid for at the cross. We then, as First John says, have to confess our sins to maintain a proper relationship, but not to maintain our salvation. So we differ there. And also she brings up Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, and then it goes on and talks about uh, who walk according to the flesh. And uh, so she's looking at the walk of a Christian and saying that you can lose your salvation because of your walk. And I tell her, no, you are either in Christ or you are in the flesh. That they oppose each other. If you're saved, you're in Christ. If you're not saved, you're in the flesh. And then I also wanted to bring up um, Colossians. You're giving me a lot here. Okay. There's so much. I need to just do one thing at a time. Okay. You need to do one thing at a time. Let's take it from there. Well, so let's get back. Take it from there. Okay, thanks. Uh, Our repentance is not what forgives us. Uh, The sacrifice of Christ is is what forgives us. So you're right. Colossians 2.14 is where it says the certificate of debt, the kerographon in the Greek, the handwritten IOU of legal indebtedness, that is canceled at the cross. It's not canceled when you repent. It's not canceled when you believe. It's not canceled when you get baptized. Colossians 2.14, Jesus, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees, which was hostile to us, he took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's when it's canceled. So people think that their salvation depends on their goodness. And this is why they don't get this. If it's the case that you can lose your salvation by not walking properly, then you are going to have to do the corollary and say you keep it by what you do, by your walk. And when I talk to people, uh, about this kind of a thing. For example, uh, what I'll do is I can quote this. I'll say, is this true? That in order to be saved, you have to keep the commandments of God. You have to conform your life to the uh, the statutes that God and his commands that he set out. And I'll ask people, do you agree that in order to have eternal life, you have to conform your life to the moral requirements set out in the Bible? And, and you have to do that. And you have to abstain from a debauched and moral way, way of life. And they'll say, well, of course. And I say, I'm referencing, quoting, actually, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, the Jehovah's Witness cult, February 15, 1983, page 12. That's what they teach. And so when Christians start teaching the same thing as the cults regarding salvation, it's a problem. <clears throat> they have to understand something. We're supposed to repent, but our repentance does not get us salvation, does not keep us saved, because our repentance is compliance with the law. If God says don't lie, and you're lying, and you repent, you stop lying, then you're complying with the law. That's not what gets you saved. That's not what keeps you saved. Because what you're doing at that point is saying, I will, by my effort, my sincerity, my goodness, I'm the one who's going to keep myself right with the infinitely holy God. And that can't be the case. So we have to understand, I'll put you on hold because there's background noise. And so we have to do is we have to understand that we cannot lose our salvation because it rests in what Christ did, not what we did. On Christ's faithfulness, not our faithfulness. Well, then people say, well, then that means you can go sin all you want. And the answer is, that's correct. You can. But you've got to also remember in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're made a new creature. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, you're born again. In John 14.23, the Holy Spirit and the Father, you they, they live in you. So we're indwelt by God. We don't want to go out and do those evil things. We want to war against them. We're not perfect. We fail. But we have a difference in us because we're regenerated. We are no longer under the law. 
Our repentance is not what forgives us. Furthermore, here's something to think about. What Jesus, how Jesus relates this issue. He says in John 10, I'm going to read this. I can do it from memory, but I'll just read it because I want to make sure I get every word right. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. So he says, I give eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus equates eternal life with never perishing. Now look at John 6. Uh, let's see. Come on. John. Oh, man, I'm typing wrong today. John 6, 37. And uh, we just go to verse uh, 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Jesus says in John 6, 39, that the will of God the Father is that Jesus lose none. If Jesus loses anybody, they lose their salvation, then he's lost them, then Jesus has sinned against God by losing them. And he goes on, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus, again, is equating a believing with eternal life. That's what he does. You have eternal life, you'll never perish, because that's what's going on. He says, whoever beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not, I might. Not, if it's possible, I will, if you keep yourself right. It doesn't say that. Because if you're going to say that Jesus can lose any, then he has sinned against God. And that's a problem. We can't have that. And let's go to John 3.16. Because what does Jesus say there? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus equates not perishing with eternal life. When you have eternal life, you can't perish. You can make mistakes. You can certainly sin. But you can't lose your salvation. Otherwise, that would mean that Jesus failed to do the will of the Father. Okay, Cynthia, did you hear all that? I hope she did, too. You still there? Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I appreciate all that. And I explained to her that a sheep is always a sheep, and he may stray from the fold, but the shepherd always comes after him and brings him back. And so we are always safe and secure in Christ, even though we may at times stray. Now let me do one more thing. I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to teach a little something here that proves that you cannot lose your salvation. It does prove it from Scripture. People may disagree, but I'll show it to you. And here's how it works. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is lawlessness. In Matthew 6, 12 and Luke 11, 4, in those parallel passages is where Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Matthew 6, 12, he says, Forgive us our debts. And the word there, debt, is legal debt. It's ophilema. In the parallel of Luke 11, 4, he says, then forgive us our sins. That's the Greek word, hermartia. So Jesus equates sin with legal debt. Right there is a fact out of Scripture. In John, 10, uh, John 19, 30, Jesus says, it is finished. He's on the cross. The word in Greek is tetelestai. And it has been found on the bottom of ancient uh, tax receipts, handwritten by another handwriting, you can tell, meaning a legal debt has been paid. So Jesus became under the law, Galatians 4.4, 4, to fulfill the law, Matthew 5.17, and he never broke the law, 1 Peter 2.22. So he did everything that was necessary. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sin 
in his body. So since sin is a legal debt, and legal debts could be transferred. So I could go into a restaurant and pay my friend's bill. If he didn't, you know, if he got his wallet, I can go in and pay it. I can assume that debt. It could be transferred. Legal debts are transferable. Our debt of sin to, against God is, was transferred to Christ. Then when we go to Colossians 2.13, the last uh, few words of 13 says, talking about Jesus, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All does not mean most. You cannot be saved if all of your sins are not forgiven. Some people will say you're forgiven when you believe in Christ up to the point of belief. And from then on, you have things to do to keep yourself right with God. You've got to continually repent. You've got to continually do things right to keep yourself right. Well, that's blasphemy. It's flat out blasphemy. And people need to know that that's what that is. Because we do not keep ourselves right with God by our efforts, but by Christ's work on the cross. His life, perfect life, and his sacrifice. So it says, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. The Greek word there, certificate of debt, is a single word, kerographon. And it's a composite of two words, care, hand, and graphe, writing. And what it means is a handwritten IOU of legal indebtedness. Jesus canceled out the sin debt at the cross. It says, taken out of the way having nailed it to the cross that's when it's canceled that means for for us well for respective of him our sins were future all of our future sins were imputed or transferred to Christ and he died with them he paid that price for all of them you can't be a Christian and be saved and end up going to hell because it would mean all of your sins are not paid for but if all of your sins are not paid for then how can you go to hell? Or how can you be saved in the first place? Excuse me. To Jesus, when he said, when Paul says, Jesus canceled out that certificate. He canceled the sin that at the cross because he's forgiven us all of our transgressions. This means all the future sins as well of those who are his. He canceled them. Now this necessitates limited atonement, which is another doctrine. But it would not be possible then to lose your salvation because then it would mean that all of the sin debt is not canceled. It's just that simple. Did Jesus cancel all of your sin debt or did he not cancel all of your sin debt? If he did, you can't lose it. If he did not, how could you ever be saved in the first place? And if anyone wants to say that they keep their salvation by their goodness, if they say, that we found the second requirement more difficult. I'm reading from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, the Jehovah's Witness cult. The second requirement more difficult, it is to obey God's laws, yes, to conform one's life to the moral requirements set out in the Bible. This includes refraining from a debauched and moral way of life. This is what's required in order to make yourself right with God. But that's not the case. You see, our sin debt's removed at the cross, but we're justified when we believe. Justification is a legal declaration of righteousness. Philippians 3 9 says we have a righteousness that's not our own, a righteousness that comes from God. So when we believe, we're justified. The righteousness of God is given to us. We don't maintain that righteousness. Christ's righteousness is imputed. Our goodness is never good enough. Anybody who says that they are going to keep the law or the obligation to keep themselves right with God in order to be saved is back under the law. 
For as many as are works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Galatians 3.10 Those who are in Christ have died with him, Romans 6.6 and 6.8. And therefore they're died to the law, Romans 7.4. And when their law is not there, that sin doesn't have any power over you. Your security is in Christ, not in your ability. Hope that helps, Cynthia. Give me some feedback on uh, what she thinks on Monday. We'll talk to you then. Hey, Chuck from from uh, North Carolina. Sorry, man. Long wait. Hey, buddy. God bless. By His grace, talk to you Monday. See ya. Another program powered by the Truth Network. <laughs>